You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right, well, good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, We are in a series called Following Jesus Off the Grid, and what this means is, is that the Christian life is a journey, and we're here uh, to really explore and discover truth for life on Sunday mornings. And so we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. We've been in a teaching series um, in the Gospel of John now uh, for about 20-something weeks. And so we've done a number of different series within the Gospel of John, and today we're continuing with this theme of following Jesus off the grid. And so um, how many of you guys like to go hiking or like to get outside and just explore? Yeah. So right now is a big season in, in Phoenix Valley, right, where everybody's coming in town, and it's just the weather is amazing. Uh, this last uh, weekend, though, or, or Thursday night, Friday night, I was up in Prescott uh, for the uh, locals. We call it Prescott. Is that right? Yeah. So if you didn't know that, it's not Prescott, it's Prescott. That sounds the cool way to do it. Um, so we were up there, and man, it got cold. It was like uh, snowing and, and sleet and all that, but it slowed us down. We had a great time. We were backing the camper up to get set up for the, uh, our location, and it's always the question of whenever you, you get set up on a campsite, you always want to make sure you have a great view, right? And it's the same way in hiking. You, oftentimes when you're hiking, you want to get up and you want to get a view so you can kind of see things. Today, what we're going to be doing is talking about having a right view or getting a better view of who God is. In this series uh, that we've been looking at last week, we learned about Jesus Christ being, uh, uh, he he had a mission of mercy. He went to the uh, pool of Bethesda. It's called literally the the place of mercy in a sense. And he does a miraculous work, uh, heals a man who had been sick for 38 years. Jesus went off the grid to make sure that he could find this guy, heals him, and performs this incredible miracle. Get pick up your mat and walk. The guy does. It's an incredible deal. Then the religious leaders come to him and they're like, hey, first of all, uh, you can't heal on the Sabbath. Who are you? And the Bible tells us that as soon as that event happened, that's when the gospel of John tells us Jesus was deeply persecuted and they sought to kill him. Why is that? Because they rejected Jesus Christ as the authority uh, to, to be the one who could uh, fulfill the Sabbath, and he was claiming to be God. And so today what we're going to do is just grasp a bigger vision of who God is. We're going to look at what it means Jesus is going to defend his authority, if you will, and uh, we're going to see him uh, declare himself as completely uh, in unison of one essence with God the Father, and this is perhaps the most blasphemous kind of literature or uh, li- uh, things that you could listen to if you were a, a first century Jew. Um, you, um, by and large, the Jewish people did not receive Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. And Jesus at this point is saying, no, I, I am operating in complete unison with the Father, um, and he's claiming deity. So here we go, uh, chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. And uh, I'm going to read through this, explain some of the text. I'll move faster uh, in some areas. And, uh, and what I want to do, though, is I want to get to five common views of who Jesus is today. 
Verse 19, it says, So Jesus said to them, the them would be the religious leaders, the Pharisees, uh, the folks that were persecuting Jesus. Um, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. Um, God is always at work and doing great things. And Jesus is saying He's at work doing great things, even on the Sabbath. Uh, He has the right and the prerogative uh, to work uh, on the Sabbath. And he says, for whatever the father does, the son does likewise. In other words, whatever dad does, that's what I do. Like father, like son. Jesus is saying, this is just what we do. Um, Verse 20, for the father, Jesus says, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him Uh, so that you may marvel. Jesus is uh, doing great works. He's healing people. Uh, The Gospel of John records uh, many signs. In the Gospel of John, there's seven uh, significant signs that uh, uh, the Apostle John makes known to his readers because many people, right, they just need to see to believe. And Jesus understands that. I mean, even doubting Thomas, we learn later that one of his disciples, he, he needed to see in order to believe. How many of you would say that you have friends, perhaps, that just need to see God work, perhaps, before they believe in him? And they, they, they think, I, I need to see something in order to give evidence for me to truly believe. Jesus uh, is aware of that. And uh, verse 21, it says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives him life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Now all of a sudden, things are shifting, and Jesus is in a sense saying, my Father and I are in the business of giving people new life. Uh, uh, We bring people from death to life in a sense, and judgment has been given to me. Jesus is serving as the ultimate judge. And verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. That right there, that phrase right there would have uh, had Jesus crucified very quickly if the religious leaders uh, could have accomplished it. Um, He's saying, in a sense, that uh, he deserves every bit of honor that the Father uh, deserves. In Judaism, they believed God to be God the Father, but they rejected Jesus Christ as the Son of God or the Messiah. They did not see Jesus to be divine. They thought he was perhaps a lunatic or a liar, uh, some great teacher or false teacher, but they did not see that. Jesus is getting himself into all sorts of trouble by saying this. Continuing on in verse 23, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So he's saying, you reject me, you're rejecting God. Verse 24, again, he uses this phrase, truly, truly. And uh, what that means is, uh, it's where we get the word, amen. It means, so be it. He says it multiple times to bring attention to the magnitude of what he's saying. Uh, Jesus' disciples are probably like, Jesus, quit talking like this. This is going to get you killed. Uh, What are you doing? Uh, But Jesus keeps pressing in. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Jesus is saying he's the access point. He's the door for salvation. Through him, that's how you get eternal life. Jesus is claiming deity. Jesus is claiming that through him, believing in him and receiving him, 
That's how people experience eternal life. Continuing on, he says, He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. There's something amazing about the Christian message that says that to, to anybody who hears, anybody who receives the message of Jesus experiences eternal life. And that eternal life is not just like when you die, you go to heaven. That eternal life, that concept is actually like the life right here and right now. That you can experience some kind of life right here and right now, and then life everlasting. And this is what Jesus is claiming. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Verse 26, for the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he, verse 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus is the ultimate authority. Uh, he's the one who holds all authority. He can bring uh, dead people to life. Uh, he can uh, work miracles. He is God. Verse 28, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. Jesus is speaking about the future, when all who hear in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What Jesus is talking about is one day there will be a physical, literal resurrection of all people, and he will separate sheep from the goats, believers from the unbelievers. And there's two options in the future, uh, that all those who believe in Jesus Christ will enter into um, their eternal rest and peace with physical, literal, resurrected bodies, and will experience uh, the presence of God, the peace of God, uh, the, the joy of all that uh, God has to offer. And then there will be judgment for all those who have rejected Jesus Christ into eternal damnation. These are two radical options. But I remind you, remember, God doesn't want anybody to perish. He's, he, had said, he had said earlier, but I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes me has, uh, will receive eternal life. And so Jesus is portraying himself as the ultimate authority. And here's what I want to spend a few minutes on is helping us understand kind of our challenge, perhaps, to embrace Jesus Christ as the ultimate authority. Um, when I first became a Christian, I realized that in order for me to experience life to the fullest, I had to die to myself. These are Christian paradoxes that Christians use so oftentimes and we don't know what it means. You hear somebody say, pick up your cross and carry it. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I should build a cross and carry a cross? Um, or Jesus said this statement, whoever um, wants to live must die. These are Christian paradoxes, and what this pushes us to do is to realize that Jesus Christ is saying that if you want to receive me and experience eternal life, you must accept me as the ultimate authority. Nobody's higher, nobody's bigger, nobody gets more attention, nobody gets more adoration. Jesus deserves it all. Jesus is claiming the ultimate authority. The false religion of his day has got an authority issue. They are struggling to accept Jesus Christ as the authority, this divine uh, God-man. And they are struggling to do that. I think in American culture, we have an anti-authority culture. I called it in the first service an anti-authority atmosphere. 
that we live in in our culture. Um, I'm just going to give some brief snapshots of what I've observed uh, in talking to my parents. They would describe that during the 60s, there was kind of an anti-authority movement called the hippie movement. How many of you were a part of that? Would you raise your hand in the 60s? You remember that. And uh, it was kind of like it, they, they were not a threat to the government. They, they just wanted uh, to, to hang out, smoke their dope, and play their guitar, and lay out a picnic blanket, and who knows what happened next. So you get the idea. These were the hippies. And in the midst of the 60s and the 70s, though, you know what happened? There was this really cool thing called the Jesus Movement. And a lot of people got saved, and God was doing great work. But there was kind of this anti-authority movement in the 60s. In the 80s, I was born in 78, it was like the punk rock scene became the anti-authority, the anarchy movement. Is, and the punk rockers were like anti-establishment. You know, and then in the 90s, the gangsters, you know, they were talking about singing songs about shooting cops up, and that was popular. And then today's time, we're still in this anti-authority kind of movement where we're talking about defunding the police. You're talking about overthrowing a government. And, and I know this is sensitive topics, but I think there are some just reasons to not just submit to authority. But there's also just a lot of uh, corruption, too, on all sides. Um, I'm trying to help you understand that there's this anti-authority movement going on. I mean, how many of you remember when you saw those individuals storm the White House? I mean, these are historical, radical movements in our culture right now, where I believe it literally is this atmosphere of mistrust, distrust. I did research this week, and I found out that only about 7% of U.S. adults actually believe that the media is giving you the right information. That means we do not trust, we do not believe. Um, right now, in just the last two years, there's been a massive swing in trust of authority when it comes to the medical community and the scientific community. And so now people do not believe doctors, they do not believe uh, 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 scientists, because they're saying we're being fed the wrong information. And I will say, right, I will, I, will, I will level with you, I think there's some legitimate, some issues there. So I believe there's legit, legitimate trust issues. But all this to say, it's like we've kind of been swept up into an anti-authority, question everything, and now what's, being, what's frustrating is that it's almost um, culturally expected not to be polite. That Christians can just be rude. Um, okay, this is a perfect example. And I don't care if this offends you because this is real life. So, of course, driving in Prescott, right? We see FJB, you know? Um, FJB, hashtag FJB. If you don't know what that means, just ask somebody who's a little younger than you. And, um, and then it said, let's go Brandon. So, if you don't know what that means, you can figure it out later. But that was the big flying on the back of the trailer, okay? And the very next sticker on this man's car was, <laughs> we love Jesus. And I'm like, that's interesting to me. Um, I've always said at this church, we don't want to be a right-wing, left-wing church. We need to be the whole bird, you know? I mean, uh, my message is Jesus. 
um, and I want you to focus on Jesus, and then you need to make decisions, but I would push you to make, G- make decisions on your political affiliation based on the values that you find in Scripture. And I'm going to be the advocate. I'm going to be the spokesman to say, Jesus Christ in the Bible has to have supreme authority over your life if you call yourself Christian. And so, um, and if I tell you exactly what to believe, then you will be just following along in a system and then question everything. But I'm telling you what Jesus was confronting was a false religion. And I shared about false religions last week. He was confronting a false religion and their issue with Jesus was authority. And I think what we have in our culture is a long kind of a brewing and stewing anti-authoritarian subculture that has now become so popular and it looks um, crazy that it's like, it feels like perhaps our world is being uh, pulled apart. And in some ways, I would say, I think uh, for the Christian, now more than ever, we have to have a very clear view of who Jesus Christ is. And the Bible needs all the more, we need to embrace the authority of Scripture and go, this is how I live. This is what I need to do. So what I want to do for you in our time remaining is, first of all, I just want to figure out what you think about Jesus. Um, According to research, 62% of uh, our elderly populations uh, in the United States of America, 62%, the majority, believe that Jesus Christ is divine and has full authority. That's good. So let's give our applause to the elderly. Yes. And if you're, and if you're elderly and you're insulted, I'm sorry. You're, it's just a demographic. Um, 58% of baby boomers believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and has authority. 58%. Uh, 55% of Gen Xers believe Jesus Christ is divine, is God, and has authority. 48% of millennials would say that Jesus Christ is divine and has authority. Did you see the trend? Did you hear the trend? It's going down. Um, why is that? Because who wants to live under the authority of Scripture? They want to live over the authority of Scripture and say, I'm above it. And so what's happening in our culture is a anti-authoritarian kind of uh, movement but I'm afraid that it bleeds into even the church in our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. If Jesus is Lord and creator of all, then we should desperately seek to live under his guidance and with his blessing. So five common views of Jesus in today's culture Uh, Number one, uh, I'll call it the sweet little baby Jesus in a manger view. Uh, Many people would see Jesus as, yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Um, Jesus is a sweet little baby. I go to Christmas services. Um, There's a large amount of uh, individuals in the United States of America that would claim themselves to be Christian, but have no idea of really who Jesus Christ is. Um, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But let me explain this. Jesus eternally existed. Uh, 
John said that, he, the Apostle John said in the beginning of his gospel, he said that he created everything and, and in him all things were, were put together. And John cites back to Genesis to affirm that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and that he created all things. And so Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but this is where he took on his humanity. And many people would see Jesus as, well, he was human, but he wasn't divine. He was born in Bethlehem. He had a father named Joseph, and he had a mother named Mary. And I don't really know if he was really divine or not, but that is the story of Christmas. The problem, if Jesus is just a baby, then the baby has no authority. And this is how I think many Christians live today, is Jesus is that sweet little baby that we celebrate at Christmas, but a baby has no authority. So therefore, I do whatever I want because it's just Jesus. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem, uh, but Jesus eternally existed. This is the God-man. That is one view. Another view is that Jesus is the great teacher. Um, this is what many people believed, I would say, within that first century. Um, the, probably many, many Jews would say, just incredible teacher. Um, I mean, he had thousands and thousands and thousands of followers. Every house he visited, it was just overflowing with people everywhere. I mean, crowds by the thousands were following Jesus, so big that he'd have to go to the hillsides, and this is where you grab uh, the, the greatest sermons ever preached in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, so he was an incredible teacher. And then the religious people said, well, he may be a great teacher, but he's a false teacher. Uh, he's claiming to be God. Uh, so this is a view oftentimes of many people uh, today that uh, Jesus is a, a great teacher, uh, goes right in kind of line with like a Gandhi or somebody else that would be a Muhammad, maybe a, a spiritual guide to help people figure things out. Um, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was far more than a great teacher. Um, Number three, uh, some people see Jesus Christ as a miracle worker. And it is true, Jesus did miracles. He did, uh, his first miracle was turning water into wine. Um, he healed people. He didn't heal everybody, though. When we see Jesus at the pool of Bethesda, there's a lot of people that were laying around uh, that were sick. And uh, Jesus chooses one man and heals him. Um, many of us today, even in Christian circles, see Jesus as a miracle worker and we pray for God to do miracles. But the problem is, if Jesus is just a miracle worker, then when he doesn't answer our, our prayers for a miracle, then we lose faith in him. Jesus was a miracle worker, but he was far more than that. Some people see Jesus as a moral example. Um, they, see, they think of Jesus like a, a really great version of, a first century Mr. Rogers. He just, he showed us the way. And so, uh, I'll show you, uh, let's go to the next slide. But the moral example is the idea that Jesus Christ, uh, he was a, a great example for us to follow. Um, and this is where I'll say most cults and false religions would put Jesus in this view. Uh, Jesus was a good moral example but he was far more than a moral example. Um, many cults um, would be attacking 
um, first and foremost, the deity of Jesus Christ. I'll give you four characteristics of cults. And these are not on the screens, but if you want to take notes, you can have this. Um, number one, uh, a cult will, an occult would be labeled like a false religion, uh, would attack the first Jesus Christ. That's the number one attack on cultish groups. Um, and I, I say this hesitantly because I have many friends in the different religious groups. But historically speaking, Mormons would be labeled cults. Jehovah's Witness would be labeled cults. Any uh, group that is kind of takes Christianity and then bends it, deviates it, and twists it. Um, and again, I have friends in different groups. And when I mean friends, I mean genuine friends. I had a, a great luncheon just the other day with a friend of mine who comes from a very famous family in the Phoenix Valley who's been historically, culturally Mormon. And I genuinely would say I love this individual and I get along with him really great. And if you know um, friends that are in the Mormon uh, church perhaps, um, you would know that they do a lot of good, right? And, and Jesus is a great moral example. And these people literally make a difference in our community. Uh, they, they help build Gilbert and the East Valley. I mean, these people uh, are really fantastic in so many ways. However, I'm going to come back to um, what happens oftentimes within these different varied groups. Jesus no longer has supreme authority. Authority is shifted to somebody else. The attack is on Jesus, and usually the attack is, is taking the divinity away from Jesus Christ and elevating his humanity. So let me say that again. Usually the attack is, is Jesus, you are not God. Uh, you are man, and therefore there's another pathway. Um, Jesus clearly claimed in Scripture, right, that he was divine. I mean, it, he laid it out to them. He says, if you don't honor me, you don't even honor the Father. Uh, so the number one attack, or the four characteristics of cults, number one is the attack on Jesus. Number two, the attack is on the Bible, the authority of Scripture. So if you can twist and change the Bible, then you can change truth. And in American culture, we live in a post-truth culture. So never before, perhaps for the Christian, is it more important to know the Bible, uh, be involved in churches that are teaching the Bible, because you will be swept away by myths, ideas, false teaching, everything. And the Bible has to have supremacy in the sense of uh, being the authority, the voice of God. Um, so the second attack is usually on the Bible. And then the third characteristic of a cult or false religion would be the source of authority. Um, in cultish groups, the authority shifts from Jesus to somebody else. Somebody else, it could be Joseph Smith, it could be Gandhi, it could be Buddha, it could be anybody, right? But Jesus, no more authority. Authority is over here. Jesus, you do not deserve that role. Somebody else does, and it's not you. Um, we can do this even with people where your authority doesn't come to the Lord. Your authority comes from somebody else you're trying to impress. Or it could be you're, you grasp and seek to find all your identity and authority in a powerful person. Um, 
Jesus is higher than any king. Jesus is higher and greater than and has more authority than any precedent. Jesus is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And Jesus is pushing the people back and saying, no, you don't get it. I'm not just a great teacher. I'm not just a miracle worker, although I know you love to see the miracles I do. He's, he's saying, I'm the Lord. And as believers, we have to remember that. We need a clear vision and going, where does the authority come from? Is it in the sacred scriptures? Is it in the, in the right governmental leaders? Uh, who has the ultimate authority here? And what I'm advocating for is you to have just a great view of who God is. Um, the wrong view was what the first century Jews and Pharisees had of Jesus. They did not have the right view. And so today's time, I think we need to remember that we need to have the right view too. Uh, number five, here's perhaps uh, one of the greatest uh, views that we could have of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. That you understand uh, he's got the whole world in his hands. He created everything. Uh, he's more powerful than any president, any political leader, uh, he is the one who reigns and rules the whole world. Uh, and the world's eyes are on Ukraine and Russia right now. And with that, I would say to the Christian is, yes, keep your eyes there, but never let your heart go astray from staying focused on the Lord. Uh, Jesus Christ uh, is in charge. He's supreme. He's sovereign. It is, feels like our world is being pulled apart, but in many ways, things are falling into place. The Bible tells us that there is a time when Jesus Christ, the, the world won't get progressively better under biblical eschatology. The world will get progressively worse. It will be crazy. I believe the Bible tells us that there will be a rapture, a saving of Christians from the crazy mayhem called the tribulation but and then one day there will come back a king of all kings and lord of all lords physical visible return and the prayer help me out our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven right there so what are we after as believers we're after a kingdom we're after building a kingdom, an invisible kingdom, but a literal kingdom one day where Jesus Christ will reign, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will set up and rid all evil, all wrongdoing. It will be a earth and heaven combined. The most beautiful places you've ever visited, the ocean, the mountains, uh, some of you and the hotels, you know, just envision the most beautiful place ever and think to yourself, this is, this is what you have to think. Lord, in the future, it will only be better. Every wonderful experience, encounter that you've ever had, there is a better place. And when we have the right view of who Jesus is, it does shape us and inform us. It helps us form relationships. It helps us to understand who we are and then what we should do. When Jesus is our king, two things happen. Here they are. 
number one, is that we learn to submit to his authority. So Christians should be hyper-submissive. Like, God, if this is what you want for my life, I will do it. I am your servant. Lord Jesus, I do not like what I read in Scripture because that is terribly hard and difficult, but I submit to the authority of your word. I want your ways, not my ways. And the Bible tells us God's ways are not man's ways. So if Jesus Christ is king, he's Lord. See, you could have Jesus Christ as a great teacher. You could have Jesus Christ as a moral example, but he'd never be your savior. It is possible to accept Jesus as a moral teacher. I remember in college, one of my favorite classes was world religion. Uh, Dr. Imber was a Jewish professor, and I should have known God was preparing me to be like a pastor, preacher, teacher for the rest of my life because I was making A's on every world religion exam. This is a public university. And Dr. Imber, I did not know at the time, was Jewish. He did not receive Jesus Christ as Messiah. He did not believe that at all, but he was so good. God used Dr. Ember to confirm my faith and to build my faith in Jesus Christ more than any other person. Um, he would have me write uh, essays on the varied uh, world religions and present my position on which religion I believed was the most valid. And it was through that journey that I became most convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord and rises above every other spiritual option you could have out there. And I saw myself in understanding that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is the one we submit to. And he's the one that we should serve. Um, if Jesus is your king, then we serve him as our Lord. If Jesus Christ, here it is, if Jesus Christ is your king, then we should serve him as Lord. I don't know if we can get that up on the screen there. There it is. Uh, we serve him as Lord, and this is an important part of just the Christian life and realizing that you and I uh, were to be servants, we're to serve him. And, you know, as a believer, um, I look back through the pandemic, and I know, and I know you know too, so many Christians that struggled with depression, discouragement, isolation, despair, uh, really hardships, right? Um, and family functions became controversial. And there's a lot of hardship in all this, right? And it's hard to be kind all the time. And it's hard to be polite. Uh, so it's been really tough. But here's what I found over the last two years in looking at Christians' lives, is that the people that served the Lord during the pandemic were actually the happiest people. The Bible says, blessed are the merciful. You know what that means? Happy are the people who extend mercy. Uh, do you want to fight depression? Serve the Lord. Do you want to fight discouragement? Serve the Lord. Do you want to make a difference? Serve the Lord. Why is that? It's because he's king. And when Jesus is king and you see yourself as a servant of the king, you got a, you got a cool mission in life. I want to share with you a story of a cool mission. we got a ministry called Fathers in the Field. And... Uh, it's, if you didn't know it, it's a, a ministry designed to, um, it's more like a mission is what it is. It's designed to identify fatherless boys in the church and in the, in the community. And then we match them with a father mentor uh, 
to be a, a, a father figure in their life. They're fatherless boys. Um, the fatherless boy and the single mom in the United States make up the largest demographic of the unchurched in the U.S. I'll say that again. The fatherless boy and the single mom make up the largest demographic of the unchurched in the United States. They are, in all practical means, the modern-day orphans and widows of our society. And I think what's happening with our younger culture, it's becoming increasingly anti-authority. And it's probably because there is no authoritative figure in the home to serve in male headship, which, by the way, is deeply under attack too, the family and marriage, is it not? So you have these issues going on, and we have a ministry now to address some of these issues and intervene and serve our king. Um, we have one man by the name of Ed Black, a wonderful man, godly man, um, by uh, many, of, many folks at his age would say, I just want to retire and coast. I don't want to serve. I want to do my own thing. Uh, he stepped up and said, I'll be a father mentor to a fatherless boy. And I just got a message just this morning, and I thought, oh, I've got to share this story. So he takes this little boy out. Um, we call them field buddies, and they go out, and uh, they've been matched, and he's going to invest and care for them. And they do little Bible studies and devotionals. It's called a journey guide. And they went on a hike. And then after the hike, uh, this little boy, Jacob, jumps in the back of the truck and he's filling out his, his journey guide. And he's filling it out. And he's so excited because he's got a father mentor in his life. And uh, he looks up and he says to Ed, he said, Ed, my mom would be so proud of me right now. My mom would be so proud of me. So he gets back to work and he's filling out his field journal and he's learning about what it means to be a young man. He's learning about forgiveness because his dad abandoned him. Um, this same little boy said one time uh, to his mom and to his grandma, he said, when I grow up, I'm never going to leave my boy. I'm never going to leave my kids. Um, he looked up after he was filling out his field journal just the other day and then he stops real quick and he says, uh, Mr. Black, I've got a question. Do you think I'm going to be a great man one day? Ed turned around and he said he just fell apart. He knew just in that moment he had the power of life and death was in the tongue. You see, friends, when we take a role to do good work, to serve people, it makes a big difference. If Jesus Christ is our king, then two things need to happen. Number one, we need to submit to him. And I'm not saying just for salvation, although we must. We must say, I submit to you, you are the Lord. No other Lord is before me. You're the one I surrender to, I submit to. You submit to him every single day and say, what do you want from me today? What do you want from me this week? What do you want for my marriage? What do you want for my business? What do you want from me? And I will do it. Because God is like working through this time right now. And it is the church that needs to be the voice that needs to claim authority on Jesus Christ in the Bible, that needs to live different, and despite any pandemic or shutdown or trial, we still serve. And this is one of the most catalytic influences that churches and Christians have always had in every generation to generation, no matter what famine, what earthquake, what pandemic, Christians always serve. And why is that? Because we are servants and He is the King. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No one is greater than you. 
and we await your return. We look to the authority of the Bible, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your inspired, inerrant word. Give us compassion and care for all people and to help champion the message that you said, for whoever believes will receive eternal life. Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you, Father, that uh, you love us and that you love all people and call us to be servants for you to make a great difference in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.